Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, normally, Kieran and I like to have a, a light-hearted chat at the, the top of the show, as we people in the business call it. That, that's the start. We call it the top, just to confuse you, you muggles out there. But we haven't got <laughs> we haven't got time, Kieran, because we've got so many news stories to get through. Um, sadly, not all of them good. Uh, none of them good, <laughs> to be mm, perfectly yes. honest. Yes. they wouldn't be on his show. Um, and the first one, Kieran, is a catch-up. We spoke at some length last week about the vote taking place between the two groups of Berry fans. That's happened now. Could you tell us what's happened and the ramifications of that happening? Yes, um, I think very much as predicted, uh, AFC, the sort of the the Phoenix Football Club that's been set up, which is now playing in the Northwest Counties League, um, they recommended to their members that they vote yes, and they had a ninety four percent in favour. Yeah, uh, voted, um, and then we've got Berry Football Club Supporters Society, um, who uh, I think it's fair to say didn't give any indication or leadership uh, as, as to how they would suggest people vote. Well, um, 63% of their members voted in favour, but under the terms of, I think it's it's dictated by the Cooperative Society uh, regulations, you have to have a two-thirds majority. So these votes came through on Friday night, first of all, we had the AFC result and then the, the Berry Supporters Club. So because it's less than the 66.66%, um, the deal has collapsed to merge the two organisations. Now, Berry Football Club Supporters Society, they effectively have Gig Lane. So we've got a football club, which doesn't have a football stadium, and we have a football stadium, which doesn't have a football club. Mm. Um there's there's not enough room in Berry to really run two clubs. Um, the council effectively immediately responded, saying it was very disappointed with the result, and they were withdrawing four hundred and fifty thousand pounds of funding, which was going to help in terms of some of the infrastructure issues um, at uh, Gig Lane, um, and also to effectively provide sort of some seed funding. As well, so um, watching watching this unfold on social media wasn't wasn't particularly pleasant. It does appear that quite a few people who have voted against the merger seem to do on the basis of personal vendettas against people from the other side who they regard as traitors for trying to set up a football club. Um, I, I I just cannot see the logic of this myself because I mean somebody said to me it was well you, you wouldn't get Manchester United and Manchester City uh agreeing to merge and I said well no but you've you've not got a football club um you know you are just a you're just the owners of some property or, or controllers of some property I, I it it makes no sense um AFC have said well yeah We'll just have to forge on. Um, we'll we'll try. Um, and the, the AFC website is, uh, is is very transparent in terms of its finances, its governance. Um, 
perhaps it's seen as being too progressive, dare I say it, uh, by mm. some of the people associated with the other with the other side. But it, it is very much now um, two tribes, um, and uh, it's it's a step backwards in terms of getting a football club from Bury at Gig Lane playing again and, and moving forwards towards ideally a return to the EFL where you know they they have a, a rich history as you say here in some of the social media many fans from both groups uh, for some reason saw fit to copy us into tweets they were sending to each other which went into micro detail about various local rivalries it it will come uh, I don't think there's any consolation to any of the fans left frustrated by the result of the merger that this was a source of discussion before the Palace game on uh, Saturday. I was uh, flattered and a little bit surprised as to how many Palace fans had followed this story through our pod. And most of them were a bit baffled as to why AFC, for example, you know, already established in the pyramid, mm. Didn't just carry on, and people were kind of confused as to where the impetus for the merger had come from. Uh, but mostly, the response was, "What the, the blinking hell are they are they doing? They, they need a football club." That was the response from most Palace fans. So the, the wider world of football is talking about it, but it is difficult, I have to say, for us to get a handle on it. For those of us who are, are outside the situation for those of us who are outside the two Berry supporters groups who don't know the reasons why this is going on. It, it does, as you say, it just seems counter uh, productive and, and yeah, it, you know, it's just, it, con- it goes against your intuition, doesn't it? It's counterintuitive mm. that this should be happening, but it, it is. And it doesn't seem to be any, I mean, that 450,000 pound of funding that has been w- withdrawn, was that potential funding sh- if the two clubs had agreed to, yes, or the two groups yes. had agreed to meet, yeah, it, it was it was conditional, um, and uh, the council, football supporters association, I think the FA have been involved. Um, everybody wanted it to go ahead. Um, I think it ended up with two hundred and sixty-eight people voted against, and and that has caused the. Uh, deal to collapse, the merger to collapse. There's now some people on Twitter proudly showing us their Twitter badge at 268, as if it's if it's an achievement to not have a football club, and and that's that's what I can't work out. If if uh, if Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness could get around a table together, then two you know groups of people from the same town who used to stand together on mm. on the terraces together, it it just it's just crazy. Yeah. One hesitates to use the word sadly in the same sentence as democracy, Kieran, but sometimes that's how it works. Democracy, that's how it works. And sometimes mm. it goes for you and sometimes it goes against you and you have to accept that was the vote and then try and persuade people to change their mind. But it, it, is, a, it is a shame. Um, I, I'm going to issue a don't panic warning now, Kieran. Because uh, uh, Derby fans listening, this is a Derby story. Uh, there's, there's almost a warm glow of nostalgia, but it's, it's, it's not a bad one, trust me. But there's some conjecture has been um, uh, resolved this week, Kieran, about just how much the club was sold for. Yes. So the administrators, uh, administrators uh, Quantumar, published their six monthly report. Um, there's it was eighty five pages long. I've read all 85 pages, as you would expect me to. Um, so the, the club was sold for around about £17.7 million to uh, local businessman and lifelong Derby fan David Clowes. Um, but there's there's as many questions as answers that arose as a result of reading the report. So so he bought the effectively the football club assets but the football club did not own Pride Park. That was owned by a separate Mel Morris company. Mm. Um, and I think he bought that for around about $22 million. So that brings the total cost for a, a club in League One to around about $40 million. Now, that, that seems intuitively on the, on the high side, especially for a distressed asset. 
Um, if you compare that to, you know, I think Portsmouth was sold for around about seven million. Admittedly, they were in a TLO, but Ports- Portsmouth, you know, big team, decent support. Sunderland went for around about thirty-five million. Again, big team, decent support, big ground, um, and and there were lots of things which just the more you read it, the, the more weird it becomes. So um, Mel Morris, who who has come in for a lot of stick, including a lot of stick from me, um, he he ultimately, uh, it, it cost him somewhere between 125 and £250 million. Now, reading the numbers, it could be that some figures have been double counted, some figures appear to be sort of transferred from one company to another, but he, he, he did put a lot of money into the football club. Um, what I found very weird was that when um, somebody at Derby County, and, and I'm 99.999% certain who did this, uh, put together something called a statement of affairs. And a statement of affairs is where you list out um, all of the money that is owed by the club to creditors. Well, according to the person who put this together at Derby, um, the club owed... Um, £320 million, which seemed uh, a vast sum of money. Um, and yet the, what, what the administrators have to do is they come in um, and they, they write to people and say, well, how much you owed? And, and that came to around about £3 million in terms of unsecured creditors. So it's gone for you know, the difference between three and 320 is you know, ludicrous, but somebody for whatever reason said no i'm not owed any money or or has effectively said i'm willing to write that off now i suspect a lot of those those sums are due to mel morris um football creditors which have to be paid in full under the rules of the efl um they came to nearly nine million pounds so i think some of that money was owed to arsenal in respect of an outstanding transfer um it's unclear from the wording, which um, is either intentionally or unintentionally amb- uh, ambiguous, um, as to what's happened in respect of the claims made by Middlesbrough and Wickham. I, I believe that, you know, looking at comments we've seen in the press historically, Mel Morris and Steve Gibson came to some private agreement with the claims made by Borough. We don't know what's happened on the Wickham side. Um, and, and then we come to um, our our issues with with tax um derby ran up a a total tax bill i think it came to around about 28 million pounds because what had happened was during covid the club or the club executives and i think it's really important we separate the football club from the people involved because derby fans take it very personally if you say well derby did this and derby did that and so on it's actually yeah, ultimately, Mel Morris and Stephen Pearce, you know, the the club owner and the and the chief executive, they were the people making decisions, and decisions were made, um, which resulted in around about twenty eight million pounds of VAT, PAYE, and national insurance contributions being deducted by the club. So the club, you know. When you get your net salary, the, the the club effectively has said, "Well, I am collecting this money on behalf of HMRC, and it's duty bound to pay it across." As a result of COVID, first of all, there was yeah, you know, we, we I think people have forgotten it was chaos, mm-hmm. and one of the things which uh, Rishi Sunak, who was then the Chancellor, said because of the carnage that's taking place, we're going to give companies a longer period to to pay those tax. Tax mess, but but they've still got to be paid at some point in time. Well, that money wasn't paid um, under a relatively recent change of legislation, which which arose pre-COVID. HMRC were entitled to a hundred percent of the money um, that was due to them, um, and they ended up only taking twenty five percent as part of the settlement with Quantumar, which means a the taxpayer has lost in the somewhere in the region of nineteen million pounds. Which, you know, in in the wider scheme of global taxation or yeah, or national taxation receipts, isn't huge, but it's still a huge amount of money. Now, I, I spoke or I contacted um, some people from other championship clubs at senior level, and I said, "Well, okay, what's the reaction coming from your boardroom?" 
And the response was, well, we're, we're furious. We're absolutely livid. We've had to take out loans either from the EFL or from the owner or from other sources because we've had HMRC chasing us. We have paid 100% of our taxes and Mel Morris's and Stephen Pierce's Derby County has ended up paying 25%, mm. even though legally they had to take 100%. Now, people say, well, how, how did this arise? And you know, I'm, I'm not being critical of Quantumar here. What they've done is that they've gone to HMRC and says, well, if, if we try to, if we have to pay you 100%, the price which we would be demanding uh, from a potential buyer simply isn't feasible. Therefore, we'd have to put the club into liquidation and you'd end up getting nothing. And, and it's a negotiation tactic. It's fully logical. If I'm honest, that's what I've done myself. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. I'm going to say yeah, this, this is the way the cookie crumbles. But you can understand the, the anger uh, at other clubs. And of course, this also sets a precedent because now every club owner who is thinking, well, you know, administration could be coming down the line at some point, will say, well, yeah, if it comes out of it, we know that HMRC, HMRC will blink first and, and they will take a fairly sizable uh, reduction. So the taxpayer lost out. Local creditors, they lost out. They only got a quarter of what they were entitled to. The people who did quite well out of it were Quantum R themselves. Um, they've got around about 1.7 million. They say that they've incurred time costs of 3.3 million and they've had to effectively write off the, the, the difference. They, they said um, yeah, the, the reason why it cost far more than expected, that, that they challenged the points deduction given by the EFL. So they're blaming the EFL. They're talking about protracted sale negotiations. Well, it was them who's, who got into the Chris Kirchner preferred bidder. Um, and it's got to be said, again, you know, I, I do talk to journalists, do some background research and due diligence. What you can do on the internet is is quite considerable. And, and there were there always were significant question marks over Kirchner. And yet, Quantumar seemed to think that that he was a he was a viable purchaser, and, and it all came crumbling down. They also said, "Well, we had meetings with stakeholders." Um, well, that, that, that's what you do. Yeah, you know, that's part of the day job. It's it's not it's not an additional cost. Whether they're perhaps saying, well, we you know, it's at times we spoke to some of the supporters' trusts and supporters' groups. They blamed having to talk to the press for running up costs. They blamed having to keep the EFL and MSD holdings and HMRC up to date. Well, that's not additional cost. That that's part of your job. So I, I found some of these comments a bit harsh. Um, the average hourly rate charged by Quantumar was £438 an hour as far as Derby County itself was concerned. So, you know, it is quite considerable. They 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 charged £140,000 in travel and accommodation costs. That's – you could you could even run producer guy's gold carriage on that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so um, legal fees, £1.7 for our silver tongue friends. And then £300,000 of payments to – consultants what these consultants did who these consultants were acting on behalf of is a little bit unclear um but clearly these fees were agreed by Quantumar um and the people involved so no mention of Mel Morris in it no mention of Chris Kirchner um a few you know a few a few bits of snarkiness um at the press and the EFL and stakeholders uh, it, it's it, it's a weird one. Ultimately, you know, huge credit to David Clowes for taking on the beast. You know, taking taking the club uh, effectively with no players. Um, but by the time he acquired the club, and uh, you know, attempting to drive it forwards now. Um, and I would say, you know, he's, you know, whilst we don't talk football, um, the the new manager uh, is is excellent because he used to be. Uh, a close friend of my ex-personal trainer. Close friend of your ex-personal... Oh, OK, right. That's, that's, that's within six degrees, isn't it? Um, yes. I, I'm not going to lie, Kieran. When you said there'd been a statement of affairs at Derby County, I was childishly <laughs> hoping for something much more juicy than that. With uh, I could also hear producer guy take a shot and take a breath. <laughs> yes, we discussed that story the other day. Some, some of the social media stories that are beginning to emerge... Um, two factual things, though, Kieran. Is this hmm. this report uh, 
presumably this is a routine report and end of administration report, I guess, is it? And and time costs, does that simply mean that it took longer than Quantum I thought for it to take place, essentially? Yes, yes. Um, the, the administrators were obliged, I think, to do uh, a report every six months. Um, I, I would imagine that when they were appointed, they would, they would have ideally hoped to have been out before Christmas. Now, you know, we are fully aware that there there were interested parties um, uh, who were considering buying the club. There, there did seem to be barriers placed in the way of at yeah. least one of those parties, is my understanding. Who those barriers were placed by, not for me to say. Uh, we're taking a trip to the West Midlands now, Kieran, away from the East Midlands, uh, three mm. stories in a row. Um, just to make the first one even more interesting, because I suspect we're going to be talking about this situation at other clubs on a regular basis. Um, Birmingham City, I'm, I'm going to put these words into an order, Kieran, and then you can sort them out, uh, <laughs> has collapsed crypto partner. Uh, yes. And <laughs> risk of sounding like Yoda. Um, but yes, this is uh, Birmingham City's crypto partner has collapsed, and, and you know we're no longer surprised by this happening at any club, are we? No, no, and, and once again, um, we're indebted to the the, the, the Rottweiler like uh, Martin Caladine, and, and if mm. uh, if you've if you've read Martin's book or if you follow Martin on Twitter at, at Ugly Game, he is he's, he's a man on a mission, um, and, and he's got a, a sense of. Um, Indignation, which which he's absolutely entitled to have, because this is tail after tail after tail, and it's where clubs don't appear to do anything apart from be blinded by the check. Yeah. So what we have is an organisation called Ultimo GG, which on the twenty eighth of February said we are introducing Birmingham City to the metaverse. Jesus. This may have come of a shock. This may have come of a shock to um, the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> it, it subsequently transpires. Um, because within a month, um, Ultimo GG's digital footprint had all but disappeared. It stopped tweeting. It, uh, its website was effectively taken down. And the, the thing is, if you work in business and you're going to have a business partner, um, one of the things you should do is a bit of due diligence. And it will probably take you no more than 15 to 20 minutes to realise that Ultimate GG um, appeared to be sort of a series of companies owned by a dad and lad combo. Nothing wrong in that, um, in theory. Um, it was promising to have a, an interactive club museum of virtual merchandise stores and, of course, NFTs and fan tokens, which have decreased in value since February by 98%. They had a um, a crypto bro. Um, now, a crypto bro is a person that goes on social media and can sort of, normally has a beard, a uh, cowboy hat, uh, is covered in bling, and says, buy the dip and ride it to the moon. And this is what the crypto bro was doing in respect of Ultimo GG. So uh, uh, now, you know, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in saying if something looks too good to be true, then it isn't true. And also, if something is being recommended by financial heavyweights such as um, Paris Hilton, Michael Owen, John Terry and co., then again, I'd be cautious. Uh, I'm not saying you know, what, what people do with their own money is their own business, but th these people are not noted for um, you know having having a background in finance, and, and you don't have to have a back background in finance to invest sensibly. Um, but uh, celebrity endorsements are, are are one things which are always uh, a cause for concern. But what really grinds my gears was that <laughs> Birmingham City, you know, even after the some of th these things were starting to come to light, the club was still effectively promoting this product. Yeah. So they, they did no checking, or the, or they if, if they did do checking, then they've completely ignored the red flags. They've promoted a product which has zero or close to zero value. Um, and why have they done that? Well, yeah, we don't know, A, whether they agreed a fee, B, whether that fee has been paid, because that, that's a separate issue. 
But the reason why these organizations are trying to get into bed with the football industry is that the football industry gives them legitimacy and more and more football clubs that do it, the more and more footballers that do it. You know, th- these people are there's an element of trust that you have with your football club mm. and yes. it gives normalization and credibility to these products, a significant proportion of which are worthless. Mm. Uh, good Simpsons reference there, by the way, grinds your gears. Very good. Um, yes, I... you, uh, you know, I love Birmingham. I've spent a lot of time in Birmingham. Yes. My, yeah. my in-laws, God bless them. God rest their soul. Uh, we're based in Quinton, uh, one of their next door neighbours, I won't name him. Uh, in the way that some brummies can do, he he made Eeyore look like Michael McIntyre. He makes me laugh so much because you'll say to him, "I can't do that." Says so it's a it's a nice day, Sandy. Yeah, won't last. I'll just <laughs> uh, I, I'll just imagine saying to him. Good news for the Blues, Sandy. They're, they're joining the metaverse. I'm just trying to, explain, <laughs> trying to explain to Sandy that they've got a crypto bro who says buy the dip and ride it to the. I just imagine Sandy going, "What the fuck is a crypto bro? Buy the dip and <laughs> it's just it's just um, just down the road, West Brom. Uh, a big financial story coming out of there, Kieran. Yes, um, yeah, West Brom are appearing on this podcast too regularly they are aren't they and their fans yeah. their fans as well on social media seem to have suddenly twigged that something might be might be wrong there's i know you use the phrase red flags a lot but they're, they're going all over this they're semaphoring all over the place at the moment aren't they around the hawthorns yeah yeah and you know box after box after box you know auditors changing left right and center slow in submitting their accounts and then mm. the owner borrowing money from the club. It's it's normally yeah. the other way around in terms of the yeah, relationship yeah. between football clubs. And that money is due to be repaid by the end of the year. So it'll be interesting to see whether that is confirmed. One would hope so uh, by the club. Uh, hope so is not the same as confident. Um, yeah. So the story which has been broken, and this has come through on Sky, um, is that um, West Brom are approaching... MSD Holdings, who we've just been talking about effectively in regard of Derby County. They they were owed £22 million, uh, plus they lent it a further £3 million, I think, during the course of the administration. And that was secured on the sale of, of Pride Park. So according to this story, uh, MSD Holdings are potentially going to lend up to £25 million to West Bromwich Albion. Um What's that going to be secured on? Well, West Brom, West Brom's parachute payments end on the thirtieth uh, of June, so I, I can't see them them being secured on the parachute payments because the vast majority of those parachute payments have already been received by the club. So, therefore, the only other asset that remains is is the club stadium. So, it's effectively the uh, West Brom are taking out a mortgage um, if if this deal goes through. Um, Given that the club has had 18 months of parachute payments, why is it now going in hock to a, to a lender? Bid red flags. The owner being coy, not really getting a lot from the chief executive coming out either. Um, yeah, we, we, we keep saying the same things. Yeah, be transparent, be honest, be open, be upfront, engage with people. Um, clearly not at £438 an hour as, as Quantum are doing mm. or claiming, you know, using as a, as, as a reason for their fees. But it it just doesn't look good. And, yeah, you know, we, we've been contacted by by West Brom fans who, who are concerned. We've got, I think it's an organisation called Shareholders for Albion who own a small, but I think it's around about 12% of the, uh, of the shares of the club. They're concerned about their investment. Other people historically have made a lot of money from selling uh, their shares in West Bromwich Albion, but the the smaller shareholders uh, were not not the beneficiaries of this. And unfortunately, Kieran, uh, Coventry City are another club that we've been talking about too much for comfort, haven't we? And there's not good news coming out of there this week either. 
Yeah, there's a couple of uh, causes for concern. The first of which I have a lot of sympathy for. So um, Coventry City are now under an EFL transfer embargo. Um, and it's got to be said that under Trevor Birch, the, the EFL have, have really got their act together uh, in terms of monitoring clubs. Um, and this is in respect of uh, the relationship that the club has with HMRC. So we were talking earlier about uh, Mel Morris's uh, regime, which didn't pay uh, HMRC. Um, in respect of Coventry, they had a payment plan. And, and this is what many, many organisations, both within the world of sport and entertainment and, and broader industries have done. They, they've come up with some form of uh, an instalment uh, arrangement yeah, with HMRC. That's what I'm doing at the moment, yeah. Yep. And um, and and they've breached it. So that get that raises a flag. I think they have to, to tell the EFL that they've breached it and the EFL then effectively automatically puts through a transfer embargo. Now, it could be that by the 31st of December, they're back on track. Part of the reason why they've been unable to pay HMRC was at the start of the season, yeah. they were unable to play at the Rico Stroke CBS Arena. Um, and this was due to rugby matches taking place, which just caused the pitch to be so substandard and dangerous that there was no no, no opportunity to play matches and therefore generate the cash flow, which would have allowed... So I, yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for the state of the position. The second issue in respect of Coventry City is where are they going to be playing football? Because, as people are probably aware, Wasps Rugby Club, yeah. um, which, uh, which, which makes some football clubs look like paragons of virtue <laughs> in terms of the professionalism uh, in the boardroom, uh, in I terms of the way they run their finances. So much so, Kieran, I've been panicking all week that producer Guy suggests we do a price of rugby. <laughs> just on that basis alone which is uh, you you haven't got time Kieran and I haven't got the interest but carry on yes um well they 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 effectively owned um the CBS arena as it's now known but um they've gone into administration uh, it looks like uh, ACL which is the company which formerly owns the stadium it has put an, put out a notice that it is intending to appoint administrators it's not published any accounts since 2020 it's the same stories again and again and again and yeah. it is just it you know it comes t- tedious that why aren't people picking up on this um and it takes you 5 minutes it takes you yeah it takes you 30 seconds to whiz on to company's house um, which okay, I've got it bookmarked. Um, <laughs> Plus, you've got your own special tour guide, Kieran, and your own entrance. Yes. <laughs> you're like you're you're like Philip and Holly. You don't have to queue up for the company's house. You you go straight to the front of the velvet rope. <laughs> well, I think I know this sounds bizarre. I've actually been contacted by company's house to say, <laughs> would I do a show with them? to talk about how great company's house is. <laughs> so, yeah, that's oh, please, how bizarre it is. Please, can I, can I have a ticket for that? Please, can I have a ticket for that? Can I help, can I help, you, can I help you write it? Let's, let's, do it? let's make it a musical. Company's house. <laughs> oh, dear. I was hope, half hoping that that story was going to end with you and Philip and Holly doing a show together, but you and company's house doing a show together. Is- <laughs> So we, we don't know what, what's happening. Now, now, Coventry were able to play on Tuesday night at the arena. Um, where they're going to be playing going forwards, all we know that there is uncertainty involved. Um, there are stories that Mike Ashley, who may or may not have been uh, implicitly referenced to earlier in the show, um, he might be buying the arena, but not the football club. Um, and in the interim period, Coventry could end up playing. It's been sp- said uh, said that they could end up playing at Walsall. Yeah, they've had to go and play at Northampton. They've had to play at Birmingham City. Um, it, it's it's not fun being a nomad. Um, Actually, yeah, no, uh, no, in no, these circumstances. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I suspect the answer to this is no, Kieran. But do we know how much Coventry City owe to HMRC? No, no, right. no. That's that is that is private. Um, 
I don't think it'll be a, a huge amount. Uh, they weren't certainly weren't one of the worst when I looked at their most recent accounts. But uh, you know what, what's happened since twenty twenty one is is uh, is uncertain. Um, but they've they've you know they've breached the uh, the terms and uh, EFL I think are being as strict as they can be um, because this is what the clubs have voted for. That there are mm. a lot of. Mm. Uh, executives of clubs and owners of other clubs who have said we are doing everything in our power to keep up to date with with the instalments, even to the extent of taking out loans from the EFL itself, um, and, and therefore we expect this to be kept. Because if you don't do that, it, it can allow clubs to therefore say, well, if we go and pay less to HMRC, uh, and, and this is one of the things which happened at Derby, you know, we can go and then spend more on wages, which increases our chances of getting promoted. And once we're in the Premier League, Everything is solved. Um, and clearly, you can't have 24 clubs doing that. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Up in Lancashire, Kieran, fans of English football's, or one of English football's legendary clubs in history, are are getting a bit edgy as well, aren't they? Yes. So um, I think there are 11 different fan groups uh, associated with uh, Preston North End, and they've sort of put out a joint open letter saying, we're not happy. Um, Yeah, we're not happy with progress on the pitch, we don't know what's happening off the pitch. Um, we we're not competing, um, so they they've done that, and I absolutely understand where they're coming from. And I have had some private correspondence with with one one of the fans in relation to this. Um, what I would say is, and and this doesn't sound I, I, I sound harsh or patronising. Um, welcome, welcome to our world, you know, because we okay, we are now in the Premier League, but you and I both know at the start of the season, our objective is to get to seventeenth. Yeah, and if we do better, then great. But we're not going to qualify for Europe. We're not going to win a trophy, um, and it's going to be individual matches that will give us great memories during this season. I mean. Preston, I, th- I think they they started off with a spectacular number of nil nil draws, which uh, I think you know got quite a few fans fairly bored. Um, but if we take a look at Preston's finances, um, what I've done here is I've gone to the pre COVID era because the figures for COVID are are distorted. Um, in in the pro pre COVID year, Preston North End had the second lowest revenue in the EFL Championship. So anything which avoids relegation under those circumstances is an achievement. They had the sixth lowest wage bill. They were paying £143 in wages for every £100 which was coming through the door. Um, and they were they were effectively relying on uh, Trevor Hemmings, who is, is their former owner, who sadly passed away a year or so ago. Um, he, w- he was putting in, on average, six to £7 million a year. Um, so you know, what, what I would say to fans, and, and I've been onto the Preston website tonight, um, just to see what is the latest and the fan and, and the club has said, we acknowledge receipt of your letter. We are happy to have a discussion with you. Can you wait until the world cup starts? Because we want to focus on you know the, the upcoming matches. So, so they're not being ignored. And, and this has come from, um, one of the, one of the Hemmings family, as well as Peter Ridsdale, um, what is realistic? I mean, th- th- I think this this is the challenge. There, there's an awful lot of money sloshing round 
in the championship. I know some people believe that parachute payments are the cause and the only cause of some of the distortions. I think they are a contributory factor, but there are other factors at play as well. Um, the, the average Preston wage, based on my calculations, is, uh, inverted commas here, is only £9,000 a week in a division where the overall average is closer to fifteen. So, football. yeah, we said this before, football is a talent industry. Talent follows the money. If you've got the second, or yeah, if you've got a bottom six wage bill, that that to a certain extent determines your your league position. And as a fan, I, I don't want to hear it. As a press, if I was a Preston fan, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to hear that either. So you say that we're not going to qualify for Europe, Kieran. But after the game on Saturday, on the basis of one one nil win against Southampton, not only were many Palace fans in the pub having us in the Europa Conference. They were also working out the circumstances in which we would play Brighton in the final, <laughs> which, which they've already decided would be in Paris. Which would just imagine the look on the faces of the Paris police saying, "You know what that stick you got into last year? Well, we're, we're lumbering you with Palace Brighton in the Europa Conference final." <laughs> and this does illustrate something, Kieran, that we spoke about just in the last pod, though. That so there are probably clubs of fans of sixty clubs that are anxious about one mm. one change of owner can change the financial picture completely. In this case, it's the, the, the tragic death of Trevor Henderson. But there's so many clubs that are only one change of owner away from their circumstances changing for the worse, aren't there? Yes. Um, and, and that's because football is not a sustainable industry in its, in its present form. Um, and I think if some of the owners of the bigger clubs in the Premier League get their way – that sustainability would be further reduced. And that's perhaps why we need an independent regulator of football. Hey, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mentioned Mike Ashley. I think Mike Ashley, in the great scheme of things, must be the most mentioned person on this pod. He's got a bit uh, defensive this week to the point of chippy, I would say, Kim, mm. isn't he? Yes. Um, so in, in respect of this, when um, Amanda Staveley's... <clears throat> Group was in negotiation <laughs> to. Sorry, can I just clarify, Kieran? That wasn't an ironic Simpsons title. No, no, no. I, I, have, got, I, I have got a frog in my throat. Because <laughs> right, just just the way you cough there indicated that's like a, a, a phlegmy version of inverted commas. <laughs> um, so, so when uh, when there were negotiations taking place, uh, and Amanda Staveley has a minority stake uh, in it, around about ten percent. PIF have got eighty percent. Ruben Brothers have got ten percent. Uh, in terms of the acquisition of Newcastle United. Um, in order to pay our silver-tongued friends, um, Mike Ashley lent Amanda Stavely £10 million. Right. Um, and under the terms of this loan was that should the, uh, should the bid be successful, Amanda Stavely should not say anything which would, A, admonish, and I think you'd quite like if she admonished you, <laughs> or B, diminish the reputation of Mr. Ashley. And so, he's sorry, sorry Kieran, just to clarify for those listeners who don't know, this is money he lent to Amanda Staveley as part of her attempt to take over the club from him. That's right. But, yeah, yeah, because okay. she was incurring uh, professional fees during the, the course of the bid, and right. you know, she didn't have, she, she may have assets which are not cash. So he says, right, I'll I'll give you the cash because he was keen to get the deal through. Yeah. Um, so he said, I'll I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you a leg up here. Um, I, I will give you ten million pounds as a loan, um, which is repayable in October twenty twenty three. But in the small print of the loan, he said, well, yeah, I've come in for a load of stick from Newcastle fans and pundits and various people. Um, but if you say anything which admonishes me or diminishes my reputation yeah. subsequent to a successful takeover, then the loan effectively uh, becomes repayable immediately. Ah, okay. Now, uh, he is now claiming, and this is where he's clearly being chippy, that um, if you take a look at statements to journalists that's been made and also an article in the Sunday Times, um, that indeed – Man Stapley had been diminishing his reputation or admonishing him. 
and therefore uh, he was entitled to his money back uh, immediately. So this this is why I've not borrowed money from Mike Ashley because if you go on the Price of Football website and read the review of Newcastle's United's finances, if you take the first letter of every sentence, <laughs> it by a pure coincidence spells Mike Ashley is a fat Cockney wanker. <laughs> and, I, and people would say, it, that's not – and I, I'm saying, well, it, it's just it's – just, you know, um, uh, amazing coincidences occur. Um, but I don't owe him any money, and I don't shop at Sports Direct. Uh, it's not even one of those big bags or mugs. Uh, so so that's that's where we are. So he's, he's clearly not happy. Um, yeah, for a for a bloke who you would think that would be fairly thick skinned, he, he does seem to have a. I think he's got a sensitive side uh, mm. to him that, that people don't quite understand. I, I believe if you read the Da Vinci Code, which I don't intend to do again, the <laughs> uh, if you look at the opening letters of the first chapter of that, it says Mike Ashley is a fat cock. Um, is that a standard clause in a? a a, a loan contract, Kieran. That I'm going to lend you the money, but you have to say nice things about me, or not, or not say anything bad about me. I, I think this is quite specific. Um, I, th- I think he wanted to be seen as uh, not not as a bad actor, as far in, as this is concerned. And, and you know, and you know, and joking aside, and, and I, I quite happily take take the take the Mickey, and I have fun when I'm writing things. Um, you know, for all of the criticism that can be levelled at Mike Ashley, he did leave a club in a very strong financial yeah, yeah, position, yeah, yeah. which which enabled the new owners to come in and spend two hundred million pounds in the first twelve months on players, and they are uh, you know now in a Champions League slot. And having seen them play, they're they're on merit as well. Oh, absolutely right, they are. Yeah, it, it, it turns out our nil nil draw up there was a really good result in hindsight. Mm. I, I I I imagine Amanda would probably know somebody who could help her lay her hands on ten million quid now somewhere, wouldn't she? She'd be right. She's not going to have to crowdfund that. Is she she needs to pay it back. Well, I, th- I think if she did crowdfund it in Newcastle, she'd probably get it. You know, such, such oh, yeah, as the, yeah, the, the high esteem in yeah, which yeah. The, the new owners are held. Yeah. Um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, Kieran, about a rather strange deal for, and I'm still going to call them Sorari. I know their name is so rare, but they entered into a deal with five, I think it was, championship clubs. And now, right. it's, and now it seems they could be stepping up a league. Yes, so th- this is a story um, which has uh, again come to come through the newspapers. Um, so, so rare. Um, th- there was supposed to be discussed at the most recent Premier League meeting, which took place last Friday, so I believe, um, for a thirty million pounds a season uh, deal to um, run their competition. Now, it's it's sort of digital fantasy football yeah. where. You can have, I think you can have three, five or 11 players in your team. You can set up leagues and you can play against other uh, other people. So, yeah, for anybody that does fantasy football, I still do fantasy football uh, with the guys. Who I, we set up a league in 1992 and we've still got the, yeah, we're still going strong. So, yeah, the, the fantasy football is good fun. This is uh, an NFT-based or token-based scheme. Um, and I think the reason why some people are a bit concerned is that if you want to, you you, you can just pick up tokens for nothing. That's fine, uh, but the players don't tend to be very good. Yeah. So you know, if if you want good players, you're going to have to pay for them, and if you're going to do that, you're going to have to use something called Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency. Um, it is one of the bigger cryptocurrencies around. Um, and it's going to cost you money now. You know the, the the player tokens that you get because they are all on the blockchain. They are all unique, uh, and some of them are. Yeah, they call it so rare. Some of them are very rare. So you might have a platinum Killian Mbappe card, um, which in theory you could pick up randomly, um, and then in theory you could sell that for a lot of money. You could also, you know, pick up a less. Uh, a less gifted player who's not going to pick you up many fantasy football points at the weekend. So um, the Premier League appears to be willing to sell its intellectual property. Um, I think when we spoke about the um, EFL Championship clubs, 
my understanding, they were looking for deals somewhere in the region of 70 to 100k per club. Uh, looking at this in the Premier League, you know, 30 million between 20 clubs. That's one and a half million pounds per club. But that's, that's the pulling power of the Premier League. So, um, you know, always buyer beware. Don't don't get sucked into spending a lot of money on it. Would be you know, my my non qualified advice. Um, it is a uh, it, it, it's a strange market. Um, the value of Ethereum as well as the value of your cards can go down as well as down. <laughs> um, I congratulate you, Kieran, because I was fairly certain that when you started talking about left less gifted players. Your next words were going to be Mark Kukurea, but well, you, <laughs> you, you've left it in the past, Kieran. Well done. And, and, another story we talked about last week, you talked about people in the current financial climate having to make decisions about what counts mm. as um, luxury items, shall we say. Uh, and Sky have shown that this week with, the, with some of the figures they've revealed. Yes, so uh, I mean, this is Sky's uh, new new owners. Um, so they they put out information in the second quarter. Uh, they lost, I think, around two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. In the third quarter, it looks like around about five hundred thousand. Now wow. that is across the whole of Europe, right? So you know, there is uh, Sky. Is it Sky DE? Um, you know, it, it does. Sky does have uh, a relationship with other countries as well. But also, Italy. yeah, we know yeah. That, that Sky is, uh, is has been very successful here in England. A lot to do with the success of its 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 sporting products. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt that the the uh, the quantity of matches and the quality of the uh, yeah the quality of what you're seeing on your screen is very good. But uh, people are having to make complex decisions. Uh, there was a report out. I think it said forty percent of households. Have less than three pounds of discretionary income, yeah. which is uh, very, very concerning, and that's down from I think it was seventy pounds yeah. uh, a year ago. So yeah. people are having to spend more money on food, more money on fuel, more money on travel, and uh, that means that there's less money. So you can see why it's happening. Um, is there a natural flaw for this? We'll have to wait to see what happens on a more broad issue in terms of the economy. Um, yeah, and also if if you are a subscriber to Sky or Now TV, um, yeah, they your your subscription prices tend to go up a lot faster than inflation historically. They they have always said, well, we've always had to go and pay more than inflation to get the renewed TV rights, and we pass that on to our customers. And you're seeing more matches, and you've got more sports, and so on. Um, but it, it, it's it's getting tougher, and the subs- yeah the overall subscriber market with Sky, Amazon, uh, Disney Plus, Paramount, you know, God knows who else that um, is is becoming a very crowded market, and, and I think people are now looking at just how much money they're spending on this, um, and, and they are making choices. Uh, do you know, oddly, Kieran, and I, I don't mean this to sound in the least way facetious because it's not but this is another conversation that took place in the Porter's Arms on on Saturday because the guy who runs it Graham along with many publicans and Mm. borrowers are worried about the hospitality industry and energy bills but someone else said that that this actually this could be good news because what you might find is that people are going all right I'm not going to subscribe to Sky but I'll go to the pub Mm. because they've got it and also if enough of us go to the pub to watch it, the pub will be able to stay open and, and keep the heating on. So it's it's shameful that we're even in a jokey way discussing these things, but it, it might have that kind of effect. But I, I, I can't see any way out for Sky other than that. I think they're going to have to look at reducing subscriptions because, I mean, that's a huge amount of people to lose. Um, but again, it's, I know Producer Guy doesn't like us talking about politics, but fifth largest economy in the world and all that. Um, and, and the Northern Irish Football League, Kieran, has, has come up with a collective approach that I think many politicians in this country would do well to look at. Yes. So what they've said, uh, and I, I'm also seeing this on, on an individual household level as well. Okay. Um, if If you're a single football club, 
you don't really have a lot of negotiation power. Yeah. If you come together as a collective, then you can go to a supplier. Now, this is in the case of, of energy and say, you know, we, we potentially can offer you, you know, 10, 12, 18, 20 football clubs, all of whom would be willing to buy your, uh, your heating and lighting, your gas and electricity products. Let's strike a deal. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, again, I'm not trying to plug anybody here, but, but Martin Lewis, who uh, you see him on the television uh, on, on a regular basis because he's one of the few people that are standing up for the consumer. Yeah. I think he's got some sort of, uh, you know, uh, collective buying club. And I'm, I'm not going to plug his website, but, you know, I think people know where to look if they want to go there. Um, and we are seeing um, people coming together because, you can't afford to buy things on an individual basis. And and this is the case for football clubs. I, I was on the radio earlier today with somebody from a non-league club and, and they were saying um the biggest challenge they've not that they now have, it's it's not even floodlights. Um it's that if they want to have a if they go into an away fixture a fair distance away, the the cost of hiring a coach because of the increase in in the fuel prices, has gone from four hundred pounds to to eight to nine hundred pounds for an away fixture. Really, and you you do that for you know twenty three times, and you, and you work out you know that's that that in non league is 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 a significant amount of your budget on top of the fact that you're paying more for your floodlights and uh, and so on. So you know all clubs uh, at at grassroots level are being hit significantly. There's no reason why football should be singled out and given additional benefits, but it, it does provide, you know, we, we've said on so many occasions, football does provide so much good rather than the 90 minutes of people running around on the field itself. Yeah, so much good, so much comfort, so much company for some people who don't have company otherwise. Um, uh, in a rather pleasing circularity, Kieran, our, our second story, uh, we spoke about taxpayers losing money and our second last story we also talk about taxpayers losing money but it's possibly considerably more than they're losing to derby yes so um this is in respect of the sale of rangers uh it, it ultimately stems from the the 2011 sale to a gentleman called craig white uh, this club was sold for for one pound but uh, it also involved the acquisition of all of the liabilities of Rangers. Now, I'm not going to go into the depth of the story because, A, I've not got three hours to set aside. <laughs> and B, um, even, even with my best tin hat on, I will be accused of being either biased to Rangers or biased against Rangers yeah. um, by people. Um, but this this is a relation to uh, a gentleman called Mr. Imran Ahmad, um, who was involved um, with uh, running you know, a part of Rangers. Um, and the uh, I think the Crown Prosecution Service, or the equivalent of, has already paid out around about £50 million for malicious um, prosecutions. And it would appear that Mr. Ahmad is going to try to hold my beer uh, in respect to that. <laughs> And is putting in a claim for seventy-five million pounds for uh, the equivalent of malicious prosecution. He's claiming that uh, the accusations which have been made to him, made about him, um, has given him a reputational damage, which means he's been un- un- unable to take work. There's been loss of livelihood, um, and and this whole Rangers tale. And, and there are some excellent books out about it, uh, by the way. If people are interested, I know that uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a emotionally sensitive subject. Um, is is proving to be very expensive because something went wrong. So, first of all, you know, things went wrong with regards to the takeover, um, and then the the consequential issues in terms of the administration. I know that uh, people from uh, people from the administration world, I think they ended up uh, getting a, a settlement as well. It's all become very expensive. And uh, yeah, I, I would say that a, a, a thorough investigation should be, should be undertaken by somebody independent, but trying to find somebody independent is difficult. And there's also a case for saying so much money has already been spent on this already. Yeah. You, you've got to try and put, put a line in the sand at some point. 
the World Cup is uh, almost upon us, Kieran. And as one of the more pessimistic Palace fans, I'm pleased to say that operations stay out of the bottom of three before the World Cup starts is seems to be going okay. Mm. Uh, and I suspect that you know we'll be as busy as ever during the World Cup, and there will be World Cup-based stories. And we have the first of them, and rather bizarrely, it involves the Ukrainian FA. Yes. Um, the Ukrainian FA have been in contact with FIFA to say that Iran has been uh, supplying Russia with drones, which yeah. are now being used to destroy um, heating and lighting and you know, you know the, the facilities of people that are living in Kiev and other major cities um, in Ukraine. And therefore, given that uh, Russia is banned from the World Cup, if Iran is supplying these drones, surely there is a case for banning Iran as well. And if that is the case, uh, Ukraine is, is willing to uh, step up and, and, and fill that particular void. So it, it's, not, it's not a finance story as such, um, but uh, I think it is indicative of this World Cup um, is, is going to be different for uh, a thousand and one reasons, um, including the fact that not many fans appear to be going because they, yeah. they can't afford to get there. And once they are there, they can't afford to stay there. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the last thing FIFA needs is Ukraine kicking off because they got enough trouble after their announcement uh, today that the World Cup was officially going to be carbon neutral mm. uh, to howls of laughter from environmental groups across the country, including uh, one British politician who worked out on the back of a fag packet that there were about 10 million tonnes of carbon dioxide out in their calculations. So it's... It's a strange one. I, I will end up watching every game, but I've, I've actually had the discussion with myself about whether I should do or not, which, you know, you, you, you look forward to a World Cup so often and there is part of me thinking, I'm, I'm going to feel slightly dirty, slightly grubby watching this World Cup, knowing the, the circumstances by which the tournament was, was gained, mm, yeah. knowing, knowing the systemic corruption that was involved in it, knowing what's happened to construction workers. It, it, it's just... There's no, there's going to be no joy in it. I have to say, Kieran, I don't think I'll be able to resist the temptation to do it. Four, four games a day. It's just too. You just have to swallow your pride and hope that the football, at least, is is decent. Well, I, I think I'm going to go the the full hipster on this, yeah. and I don't think I can be asked. I'm going to watch some non-league. I'm yeah, going to no, watch some well, some yeah. lower league. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm going to spend time with my grandchildren. Uh, because yeah, now now I'll counter that. Yeah, if England get to the quarterfinals or Wales get to the quarterfinals, then then I'll be I'll be watching and cheering on the teams. But I find it difficult to get motivated. I, 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 and I've even got a confession: my Panini sticker album is about ninety percent empty, and that's never been the case before. Oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> well, that's a first world problem, isn't it, Kieran? That is a first world problem. Really is a first world problem. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the Baroness feels your pain. Really. <laughs> How old your 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 grandchild? Uh, my my eldest is three, and yeah. uh, my my youngest Elsie has just turned one. Yeah. So I think even Elsie will be saying, "Granddad, you're too old for panini stickers." <laughs> Come now. Uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution, that'd be very kind of you. And you can do so by going to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. As you know, our next live show will take place at Plymouth Argyle's home park. On Tuesday, the 13th of December, we are very much looking forward to that. Tickets are still available, still one or two available from Plymouth Argyle's website. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And as ever, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, thanks as always, folks, for the support. Um, thank you for whoever has set up uh uh, price of football context on Twitter. <laughs> Bringing help out of context, out of context. Price of football, just quotes. Yes. Taken out of, and they've got followers. It's, it's fantastic. I was really chuffed to see that. <laughs> that's that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and and uh, I love the fact that the the only person that they follow on Twitter is Swiss Ramble. <laughs>
Yeah, it's a small world football finance, isn't it? It is, yes. <laughs> um, so, so by all means, keep in contact with us. We, we do appreciate it. We we do respond to messages. Yeah, we, we do try to be, um, try to do some of the things which clubs don't always do and try to engage and be be as transparent as we can. Yeah, um, I have to say, Kieran, we try and do some of the things you suggest on Twitter, but some of them are physically not possible. <laughs> um. So, so uh, Patreon is one way of supporting the show, but, but another way of supporting the show is to go onto um, your Twitter app and to uh, to give us a review. If you give us five stars, it helps us in the charts. Uh, I think we're still quite regularly in the top thirty of uh, sports podcasts, we which, which we're, we're dead chuffed about. Um, and uh, it, 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 we will be, we will be gracious losers. Uh, at the Football Supporters Association Awards in in less than a fortnight, uh, as Barry Glengenning goes up yet again to collect for uh, for the Guardian and and and, and you know fantastic show uh, that it is as well. You um, you, you may be a gracious loser, Kieran. I shall be kicking tables over. <laughs> um, it, it it's very much apparently the stars that matter uh, when it comes to uh, Apple and and its algorithms. So it doesn't matter. What do you say? And I think I think this is a record number of uh, topics we've covered in a single show tonight. So I'd just like to say that as it's been a packed show tonight, <laughs> I, if you'd rather say the show was presented by Ronnie Corbett and Ronnie Barker, I'd fully understand. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely? I, I, I wrote for Ronnie Corbett once. Oh, did uh, you? Yeah, he was, he, he was just the loveliest kindest person you can meet. Ronnie Barker, meh. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The Proviso Football. Bye, son, for the